From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Lizzie Barron. And I'm Hannah Cunningham. And we'll be your hosts for this week's guest episode. Currently, Terra Informa is on a bit of a summer break, so we're bringing you a piece from some guest contributors. Today's show centers on the radio documentary of University of Alberta Community Service Learning students, Brooke Kalila and Ashley Krahoot, exploring outdoor gardens and how they can grow much more than food in cultivating community, food sovereignty, and being a tool against food insecurity in Edmonton and beyond. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was produced in Amiskachew Saigon, Beaver Hills House, Edmonton, on Treaty 6 land. CJSR 88.5 FM broadcasts from unrecognized Papachase territory, a people who were displaced by the efforts of colonialists and colonial governments. Not confined to history, this region is also the present homeland of many First Peoples who build their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. The lands that we live on are stolen lands and have been used by settler colonial industries for wealth and resource accumulation. As we think about growing and distributing food, we should also be thinking about how we can contribute to or help promote Indigenous land ownership, resource management, and cultural protection and practices in the places where we live. You hear that, Ashley? That's the sound of spring. You know what I love about spring? The long days and the warm weather. I know exactly what you're talking about. All the new life, the flowers, the birds singing, the bees buzzing. It's such a beautiful time. You're right. Spring is definitely my favorite time of the year. But my favorite part about spring is outdoor gardening. You know, most people walk by outdoor gardens and only notice the way they look. I mean, they do spice up the appearance of our neighborhoods. But while outdoor gardens are beautiful, they also serve an array of other benefits and tackle a lot of food issues. Tell me more about it. Well, lucky for you, Ashley, we have a full documentary planned today about how outdoor gardens address food security and promote food sovereignty. But before we get into it, we should probably introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Brooke Kalala, and I'm in my second year studying sociology at the University of Alberta. Your turn. Hi, I'm Ashley Krahoot, and I am in my second year studying environmental and conservation sciences, also at the University of Alberta. But wait, before we get started, I have a question to ask. Yeah, girl, tell me. This is a safe space. What is food security? Ah, uh, that's a really good question. I think most people are wondering the same. Lucky for us, we have a professor from the University of Alberta 
in the Department of Resource Economics and Environmental Sociology, here to explain what food security is. But before we dive into that, let's get some context about Deborah and her expertise on the topic by hearing a little about her organization, Prairie Urban Farm. Please welcome Dr. Deborah Davidson. So uh, Prairie Urban Farm is a particular type of community farm. So uh, cities all over the world these days are exploding in, in community gardens. Ours is a, a little bit different in a number of ways. The first one is that be, in part because we're affiliated with the university, but also in part because we think it's important, one of our primary purposes is to uh, build knowledge share knowledge and do outreach uh, um, with members of our community here in Edmonton and beyond about all things related to sustainable food production and, and food sovereignty. Uh, the second thing that's unique about us, and it's I think it's somewhat linked to that, that, that first element, is the fact that we run our farm uh, entirely collectively. So most community gardens are sort of divvied up into individual family plots. And, and so it, your family goes out and just manages um, your little plot. And uh, we decided that we wanted to have more of a collective approach uh, in order to create more opportunities for building relationships. And so we have about an acre and a half of land. We have a, just an enormous diversity of food and non-food crops that we grow every year. And we have um, a, a large base of volunteers. And volunteers come in and participate in work groups with the management of that land. Community-focused farming. So now that we know a little about Deborah and her work in gardening, we should address some of the key terms she brought up and more specifically what food security is. So uh, most people think of food security as just getting enough food to eat, uh, not going hungry. So but having sufficient calories, and that's certainly a, a big part of, of what food security is all about. But the sort of the term food security that has been adopted by the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization and that has been adopted by people who study food issues uh, is, is broader than that. And, and they acknowledge that food security also includes things like having sufficiently nutrient-dense foods to maintain health and well-being, and it also includes um, access to culturally appropriate foods, which is going to vary quite a bit what's considered appropriate foods for consumption, depending on one's uh, cultural background. And so the, the specific components of food security are um, having food available to you and then also having access to it. So being able to afford it or get it into your kitchen in, in, in some, some way, shape or form. So, so that's kind of the academic and, and institutional, I guess, version of what food security uh, means. Wow, thank you for that explanation, Deborah. I have never thought about food security being so complex. I had always assumed food security meant an individual not having enough food. With so many factors, I can see why outdoor gardening can be a useful tool in achieving food security. Gardens allow people to grow foods that they know how to incorporate into their diet, that are nutrient dense, and are culturally appropriate for them. 
I wonder if there are any people who utilize gardens for the purpose of food security in Edmonton. That's a great question, Ashley. We actually have Nicole Spring here to talk about her experience with food security and starting an outdoor gardening organization in our city. Nicole is a master's student at the University of Alberta studying community engagement, specifically specializing in topics like food sovereignty. Yeah, I'm Nicole Spring. For the past three years, I've been running an urban farm um, in central Edmonton, mostly around the Wyav area. It's spin farming, which is um, small plot intensive. Um, so we take over vacant lots that um, have been vacant for a while and turn them into productive gardens. And we grow vegetables, herbs, and flowers, and we sell them within the local community that it's grown. We try to do this in a way that is kind of waste-free. Like we try to reduce our waste output. Um, don't really like using, uh, creating any plastic waste. Um, we do a lot of composting, try to travel by bike and um, foot to the garden. I try to do bike deliveries as well when I can. Thank you for your introduction, Nicole. How has food insecurity motivated you to start Veg and Yeg? I, I created it um, for a few reasons. Um, firstly, um, as a climate activist, I understood the importance of eating locally produced food um, to reduce food miles associated with food. But I personally couldn't afford to shop at the farmer's market every week. Farmer's market pricing is high end, probably more expensive than the grocery store sometimes. Um, but it's priced that way for a good reason. Like it's you know, it's fairly priced. That's something I've learned as a as an urban farmer is that every all the food in the farmers market is is the perfect price for food, based on the work that goes into it. Um, however, yeah, like people on low wages can't can't afford to shop there all the time. And that included me. And I also knew that a lot of people in my neighborhood can even afford to shop at the grocery store every week. And I was volunteering at Campus Food Bank for a year, which is my local food bank. And I noticed that the, quite quite often the food bank couldn't even supply fresh produce every week to its clients. And it also didn't make sense to me that there were these vacant lots in really busy urban centers um, that were sitting unused for years, sometimes over a decade. And it didn't make, make sense that homeowners spend so much time, money and water um, manicuring their lawns. Just out of curiosity, were there other factors that motivated you to start Veg and Yeg? I personally wanted a day job that I actually enjoyed and which would benefit with my physical and mental health and help with social isolation that I was feeling at the time. I was kind of um, really feeling a lack of community. Like I, I figured urban farming kind of ticks so many boxes in creating like a fulfilling thing to do. Like it provides you with social interaction and, and meaningful work for your community and yeah, mental and physical health. And I also wanted to resist capitalist business practices and, and make sure that any business that I ran as an urban farm was not going to exploit anything or anyone in a negative way and produce very little waste. That's awesome. 
Nicole is a prime example of someone using outdoor gardens to provide a space for people who are food insecure to have access to fresh produce. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. This week, we're playing a piece by community service learning students at the University of Alberta, created all about growing outdoor gardens and growing community. Let's keep listening. Outdoor gardens are not just a source of food, but they're also places where communities can be developed. It seems like from Nicole's experiences, communities are an important aspect in addressing food insecurity. Definitely. Community can be a powerful tool, not just for connection, but also the sharing of knowledge. Outdoor gardens allow people to learn about how to grow their own food and to try something new. For people like Nicole, that can be empowering. For example, if the first time you grow, like, let's say, um, something in the cucurbit family, like a squash or something, like squashes are, they kind of all grow in a similar way. So once you've grown like one variety, you kind of, you start to understand how that family of plants grows. And so you're, you feel more confident in branching out to different things. So like this year, I'm going to grow melons for the first time and other things like that. Like I just keep, I just keep it every year. I expand, I, I learn how to grow new vegetables and not even necessarily like because the community needs it, but because I enjoy learning how to grow new things. I mean, is there a better place to be continuously learning from? You could be growing anything in your garden and constantly be expanding your knowledge and wonder of nature. Clearly, after hearing all of these great points, I couldn't imagine why anyone would not want to take part in outdoor gardening. Ah, but like, COVID must have gotten in the way of people's abilities to participate in outdoor gardening. Actually, it's kind of the opposite. Here's Deborah again. I suppose a redeeming feature of the pandemic is it has uh, generated a tremendous amount of renewed interest in local foods and food securities. And so we uh, actually had probably more volunteers last year than we ever had had before. And you know, all you have to do is you know, get on the internet and see the explosion of webinars and blogs and, and, and things uh, regarding everything with respect to food security and food sovereignty to see that there has been, uh, for varying reasons, I suppose, as a consequence of the pandemic, renewed interest on the part of individuals in learning more and participating in their own relationship to food in different ways. I guess I was wrong about how COVID has affected people's abilities to take part in outdoor gardening. If outdoor gardening organizations can survive through a pandemic, they must be pretty close to a perfect system then. I mean, even though outdoor gardens are beneficial to society, they still have room for improvements. For example, actually getting people who are food insecure involved in outdoor gardening can be difficult, not out of want, but rather because of limiting social factors, like not having access to land and not having enough time to participate in outdoor gardens. Deborah has a lot to say on this. The first thing that I will say is, is that across what I would call the global north, Canada, the United States, many parts of, of, of Europe and Australia, we have seen a resurgence in community gardening. 
over the last 10 or 20 years or so. But community gardening in the form that it has, that, that has emerged recently, it's really geared towards kind of recreation, neighbor, neighborhood spaces and things like that. And they have not been really explicitly intended or designed to support food security in a number of ways. Number one is that actual food production uh, on community farm spaces is, uh, you know, not maximized. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a goal of, of those systems, but also number two, the people who are, who are most likely to participate in community gardening are people who tend to not be the ones who are food insecure in the first place. They're, they, they tend to be uh, white, uh, middle or upper middle class. And so they're far more likely to be people who, you know, love to have fresh herbs uh, in, in their fully equipped kitchen, as opposed to people who, you know, are, are really, um, you know, desperately seeking enhancements to their to their food security locally and so there's a lot of I think cultural factors at play there uh, you know even in those cases in which non-white and working class peoples are welcome to to participate in them they're they they feel excluded and so I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to specifically um, create opportunities for community gardening participation amongst those those peoples who are the ones who are in fact most food insecure all of these downsides provide an opportunity for outdoor gardens to improve. There are so many different initiatives being taken to enhance outdoor gardening everywhere. For example, Rooftop Gardens is a newer initiative to increase outdoor gardening in cities where there are not huge plots of empty land where people can set up gardens. So while there are new innovations to outdoor gardening, we can also change the gardening culture. For example, the kind of people who take part in outdoor gardening or the different kinds of food that we grow. Yeah, exactly. All of these factors are important to consider because they ensure that everyone gets an equal opportunity to have a say in what they are able to grow and make decisions on the foods that they consume. There is actually a special word to describe a person's right to make decisions about their food, and that is food sovereignty. You can see food sovereignty at work with the organizations that Deborah and Nicole have created. Yeah, for sure. I think it is also really important to include Indigenous people in the conversation of food sovereignty and how we can learn from historical practices. You're totally right. We can learn a lot from Indigenous food sovereignty movements around the world which stem from long-standing relationships with the land, forests, oceans, and waters. These movements consider the interconnections between the cultural, political, and environmental aspects of food systems, like the ability to respond to the need for healthy, culturally appropriate foods, including decision-making power over the amount and quality of food that is hunted, fished, gathered, grown and eaten. And importantly, with that, we must consider and respect Indigenous land stewardship practices, treaty rights, and the aim to decolonize Canada's food policies, which shouldn't be treated as an Indigenous issue to be carried by and fought for by Indigenous peoples. This is a collective responsibility that must be shared by all 
because food sovereignty is something that we can all benefit from. Yeah, and the cultural appropriateness of our food, or the ability to eat food important in our culture, is big. And while outdoor gardens may operate on a small scale, let's not forget the many cultural exchanges that can happen in these spaces. For example, when we exchange our knowledge about specific foods with others, all of this helps preserve, affirm, and reconnect us to our cultural identity and traditions. Deborah notes how cultural exchange occurs frequently on prairie urban farms. I think that particularly at Prairie Urban Farm, and, and I think this is in part uh, due to the fact that we are part of a university and our university, our student body is, is just so incredibly diverse that, that we have had an opportunity to have people join us uh, on the farm who come from all over the world and speak different languages and have you know, different historical experiences, knowledge, et cetera, that they bring to the farm with them. And then in addition to that, we have also uh, invited successfully the participation of people outside the university community. People, for example, who are you know, fourth generation farmers from, some, from Southern Alberta. And so uh, we end up in a, in a situation in which we've, we've just got a, a cornucopia of different cultures, different ethnicities, different languages, uh, different knowledge bases um, that sort of meet on the farm. And that has always uh, been uh, just enormously rewarding in just seeing the relationships that develop, let's say, for example, between, uh, you know, an international student who just arrived from China with a 70-year-old former farmer from Southern Alberta talking about soil. Uh, and so we have those kinds of conversations on a regular basis. Um, but we have also uh, been very responsive to the requests of the people who come join us on the farm to share their knowledge and to, and to showcase uh, their knowledge and their traditional foods as well. So for example, we, we now have a, a, a space that's dedicated to Asian foods that was uh, initiated by, by one, of, one of our volunteers who was originally from Korea. We have another individual who came from the Middle East who is on a regular basis introducing us to possibilities for, for new crops that, that we can try um, on, on, on our land base. So I think uh, I can't come up with a single example because I think Prairie Urban Farm is a kind of a continuous place for those kinds of, of cultural exchanges to happen. And it's just, it's really been lovely to see the extent to which so many individuals feel valued and appreciated based on the new knowledge and experience that they can bring forward and then, and how receptive everyone else is to, to that information. Wow, you're right. Food isn't just about getting your nutrients. Food is also a powerful tool for culture and cultural practices, which has the potential to create communities. It does. And interestingly enough, Nicole has her own experience on veg and yeg that shows us how communities can be created through cultural exchanges. I think one was, so the previous site we were at in Garneau was right at the base of this huge high-rise residential building. And uh, a lot of my customers were from that building and a lot of them had their balconies sort of like facing the farm so they could like watch. He, when it, it's funny, like they, they would 
because they would be sat on a, on their balcony and whenever they spotted that I that I had arrived at the farm they would just come down and like get get me to harvest some stuff for them um but anyway yeah one of my favorite memories was one of the residents of that building kind of was she was super friendly we, we got chatting a few times and she's from China and she'd never tried Swiss chard before so I encouraged her to try it and I told her how to cook it and stuff and then one day I was at the farm it was like kind of around lunchtime and she just she came down from the building and brought me these amazing like wonton dumplings stuffed with Swiss chard <laughs> and I think green onion that I also grew like so the food that I'd grown and she bought from me she came down and presented me with this for lunch and I was just so I don't know it was just really special I was just so taken aback by that um just really lovely like <laughs> just kind of that cross between cultures as well like converting sort of western food into Chinese food I just loved it I, I loved how I was able to, to show her to try a new food and then she introduced me to her recipe in a new food and it was just amazing. Thank you for sharing that story with us Nicole. What a good example of how outdoor gardening can create a community and work towards creating a healthier and more vibrant community in all senses. Exactly. I just want to take a quick second to thank Deborah and Nicole for their contributions to our discussion on outdoor gardens. It has left us more knowledgeable on how outdoor gardens are multi-purpose as they serve as a source of food, provide a place for cultural exchanges, and sustainable agricultural practices. And they really get us thinking about food sovereignty in the sense that they make us think about the types of food we want to eat and grow. Yeah, Ashley, that's the beauty of outdoor gardening. Anyone can participate and contribute to the pool of outdoor gardening knowledge. Lucky for us, spring has arrived and your outdoor gardening plot is out there waiting for you. Music credits. Dylan John, early morning ambience with bird sound effects. Axle Tree, the woods remastered. HK Kabayan TV applause sound effects. That is all the time we have for this week. Big shout out to Brooke and Ashley for that excellent piece. As the days get longer and I'm out and about in my neighborhood for more hours during the day, I love seeing people out working in their gardens after the long winter months. If you asked me about what my favorite part of gardening was, before, I might have talked about the excitement of digging up a particularly large potato or finally getting to pick a zucchini that you've been eyeing for a while, but this episode has made me realize that I love the community aspect of gardening as well. I love getting to spend time catching up with my roommates as we water or weed the garden and making connections with neighbors by trading compliments over veggie patches. Sharing plants and produce with family and friends sometimes feels more special than picking things for yourself, although I will always keep at least one garden cucumber for myself. Thank you to the Community Service Learning Program for partnering with CJSR. If you want to learn more about the organizations mentioned in the episode, Veg and Yeg and Prairie Urban Farm, check out our website or the show notes for this episode for more information. 
Did this episode get you excited about topics like gardening and food security? Want to learn more? Terra Informa has done several episodes about these subjects that you can revisit or check out for the first time. If you're just getting started, we recently did an episode all about seeds and seed saving with Denise O'Reilly from Abunar Seeds. If you're interested in urban food production in Edmonton, learn about local honey production and why bees are good for the city in our urban beekeeping episode. And if you're interested in food security and want to dive into the topic of food sovereignty, in 2019, we aired another documentary by CSL student contributor, Roisin Graham, about the challenges to Indigenous food sovereignty. You can find the links to these extra credit episodes, as well as links to Prairie Urban Farm and Veg and Yeg on our website or in the show notes for this episode. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. If you like what you heard, check out our website, terrainforma.ca, or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Terra Informa. Catch us next week, right here on Terra Informa.